Good morning. Good morning again. I hope this sounds much, much better. Thank you, Ian. Um, I don't know if that means we have different equipment over there or, or what, but anyways, it, we're thankful that uh, we could fix it. <laughs> there you go. Um, yes, uh, just wanted to uh, welcome everyone here this morning. We're uh, uh, kind of winding up the, uh, the end of the summer and people will be getting back to school and normalcy and whatever, I guess. Um, so uh, be in prayer for those that are not uh, still able to be with us. We see a lot of a lot of empty seats, and so we just be in prayer that uh, uh, that uh, some of our friends and neighbors that aren't here right now will uh, be back with us soon. Uh, just want to uh, let everyone know we're having the uh, electrical is going to be being uh, started uh, on the second on the uh, uh, upstairs uh, this week. It was supposed to be started uh, uh, last week, but uh, it didn't. So they're going to be working on the electrical this week, and uh, things are moving along well. The painting is moving along well, et cetera. And so we're just uh, thankful for everybody's uh, hard work and uh, diligence and uh, financial support, et cetera. Uh, I was thinking about uh, and praying about uh, the addition this week uh, and had a few different conversations, and, uh, and I would like to... Uh, uh, challenge everybody uh, this week uh, to pray about what they would like to see our new space be used for. So we have uh, 40 people here this morning and probably 40 different variations of ideas. But uh, I'd just like to, we were just talking about different things that can be done and how we could reach out to our community uh, you know, and that it would be used for outreach and, and et cetera. And so what now we just have to figure out what we're going to do with it. And uh, so I would challenge you to uh, be prayerfully considering that and what you'd like to see done uh, out there and also uh, how you would like to be a part of that thing. Uh, it's always nice to have ideas, but it's always nice as well to have the people that want to uh, do it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those two things kind of should go together. Uh, if it's a great idea, then, uh, then maybe that's something you could help with as well. So anyways, uh, be in prayer for that. We're uh, uh, prayerfully... Uh, prayerfully, uh, we should have the majority of the work done. I'm, we're praying by uh, by the end of the year, and uh, so that'll be uh, exciting. Um, any other announcements that need to be made this morning? Yes. Good. Excellent. Yes, Brian. All right. The, the VP of cans and bottles will take care of that. Thank you. Yes. They 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 pile up fairly frequently, I guess. 
Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, any other announcements that need to be made this morning? All right. It's so good to be here this morning. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. And Dean, would you open in prayer for us, please? Thank you, Dean. Our, uh, our scripture reading this morning uh, kind of dovetails with the uh, message this morning. And so if you'd like to turn with me uh, to Psalm 107, if you'd like to follow along, Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. Psalm 107. <clears throat> Some went out on the seas in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of people and praise him in the council of the elders. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. I'm sorry that never happens because I, I don't know how to silence it. <laughs> this is not an advertisement for Alcatel because it's the junkiest phone ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I apologize for that disruption. Uh, it says right over here, please, thank you. It says, it says, please silence your cell phone. And I looked at it this morning and I said, it won't ring this morning. It won't ring, surely, but it did. All right. Okay. A little levity is good. 
All right, let's stand and sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. And let's sing that through a couple of times. Great song. to 348 my savior's love and we'll sing the first the fourth and the fifth verses one four and five of 348 Love for me. 
You may be seated. Wonderful singing this morning. It's a, we were talking in uh, in prayer meeting on uh, Thursday night, and uh, oh, by the way, we've had a a really good uh, group coming out for prayer meeting the last few weeks, and uh, we've had uh, some really good times of prayer. And so, I would just encourage each one of you. Uh, to young or old, there's no there's no age uh, limit, um, but uh, challenge each of you to consider uh, being in prayer meeting. It's a time to really uh, to really uh, focus on prayer and and uh, and fellowship, and we have a good time singing. And so, uh, just uh, challenge each of you uh, to consider that. Um, that's the end of that advertisement. Uh, and now, uh, would the uh, ushers come forward for our morning offering, please? standing please and uh, if you would like to turn to uh, he is worthy that is on your uh, on your handout and uh, and this is a new one this week so I will sit down and leave that in the capable hands of uh, Ian and Miranda You got to know the other one so well, we thought we'd try a, a, another one. So it's, is he worthy? And you'll notice uh, the words of the chorus are taken out of the book of Revelation, uh, chapters 5, 6, 7. And uh, who is worthy to open the scroll? 
of the final judgment and then ultimately the recreation of all things, and it's Jesus. He's the one who's worthy. So this is, as we get to learn the song, eventually it'll be kind of a call and response thing, but the, for the first time through, we'll just all sing it together and sing as you're able to learn it. Do you feel the world's broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of Is he worthy? 
So good to see all your faces here this morning. Love to be with the people of God. We're going to spend some time together now in prayer. Get a few uh, prayer requests that were here in the uh, offering plate. Any prayer requests we want to bring before the Lord? Thanksgiving. Andrea. Yeah, we'll pray for Allison's sister, Andrea. Still recovering. Shirley. Praise God. Praise God. We've been praying for Shirley's family that was in the, the impact zone of the hurricane, and they're all, they're all well. Just a sister lost part of her roof. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jane. Amen. Yeah, we had a great group in prayer meeting. Thirteen, I guess, Jane counted. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prayer is the, the fuel of the church because God is the author of the church. Um, and we need his, his work and his power among us and in our community. And so any of you who are able to, to make it out to prayer meeting, it's a great blessing to be there. I, I, I told someone this week my favorite part of prayer meeting is everyone else who's there. It's just wonderful to hear God's saints in prayer and encouraging So. That's Thursday at 7. End of advertisement. Um, <laughs> Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Randy and Joy Hadsel and, uh, and also Bonnie Libby. Um, the three of them have, have had to stay away for, for reasons of the, the coronavirus. And so we'll be praying for them as they're not able to be sort of active with us in community. Gail. You said your nephew and his fiance who are going to be married in September. Christopher and Margaret. Mm. Yeah, prayers for safety there and no, no transmission of virus or anything praying for them. All right. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. We come to you this morning, Father, thankful, and we come with praise on our lips because you made all things. And uh, we acknowledge this is not our world, it's yours. You made it, and you made us. We're your people. We're not ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And the, uh, 
the sun this morning and the crisp fall air remind us of your faithful care for creation and for your people. We, Father, we who know you know that as long as we leave our sins unconfessed, that we groan. So we confess and we acknowledge to you that we're sinners. Um, often we're tempted to cover up our sinfulness because of our shame, but we know you know us and that we can't hide anything from you. And so we confess willingly our sins. We ask that you'd forgive us. We do so boldly, trusting your promise that because of Jesus' death in the place of sinners, those who come to you and confess their sins will be forgiven. We're thankful for that promise, and we're thankful to be able to be in your presence and to stand in Christ's righteousness, not our own, to come boldly as sons and daughters to your throne. We ask, Father, that as your forgiven people, that we would be anxious not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. By your spirit and by your word, revive our hearts and our minds so that we would learn to walk in the, in the way of your spirit and according to your will. Father, we lift up um, thanksgiving and also supplication, Lord, um, for those we love and those around us. We're thankful, uh, uh, Lord, for answered prayer for Shirley's family. We're able to be safe um, through the hurricane. We pray, Lord, for the families of those, I think I heard 16 or so, um, who died in the, the recent hurricane this week. And we just pray that you be with those families. We pray that you'd equip and encourage your church in those uh, hard-hit areas and across the country, Lord, to support those who are in need to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we'd be a servant church. We think, Lord, of those who have medical concerns. There's many in our community and in our church community and among our friends and family. Uh, Lord, we, we just ask, as we have continually asked for all of these folks, Lord, that you'd be with them, that you'd bring healing to them. We think of Kevin as he continues to fight cancer. Lord, we think of Sarah Calvert. Pray that you be with her. We think of Andrea Littlefield as she continues to recover. Steve Wadsworth as he prepares for an upcoming surgery for the Palmer family. Father, we think of Herm who's not with us this morning. We pray that you'd help him to breathe. We think of Shirley Freeman, Lord. We pray that you continue to help her to sleep and to, to breathe. Lord, we think also of David Dyer as he um, battles cancer uh, and of Shirley Freeman's daughter-in-law with cancer. And we think also of Warren Ard. We lift all these up to you, Father, and entrust them to you, both their, their bodies and their souls. We, we lift this morning to you, Father, those who aren't with us, those who we, we long to see and that we haven't seen for so long because of the coronavirus, either uh, because of their own um, compromised state or their worry that they may transmit something to us. We thank you, Lord, uh, for their love for you and their part in our community. We pray that you'd strengthen them uh, as, they, as they go without the regular physical fellowship of your people, that you'd continue to strengthen and grow them in the gospel of Jesus. We thank, Lord, of Gail's nephew and... Uh, his fiance as they prepare 
for a wedding. That's exciting. We just pray that you'd be with them, that you'd teach them the true meaning of marriage. We pray, Father, that uh, you'd protect them and their ceremony um, and that uh, it wouldn't be a place where there's um, a transmission of this virus, but uh, that all, everything would go smoothly and safely. We pray as we have been praying, Lord, for all those who mourn, especially for Jane Daniels, especially for um, all of Steve's family. pray that you continue to be with them and strengthen them. We pray that you be with our country, which in so many ways is fractured and divided, so much unrest. This week with natural disasters and dealing, Lord, with a, a panic about this disease. And in all these things, Lord, our, our hearts are stretched and strained, but in all these things, we lift up to you, Father. And we ask that you would work a revival. We we know from history that it's often out of periods of great unrest that you give great life to your church and to people. And so we pray, Father, that in, in difficult times, people would look to you and that your church would be ever more faithful in making you known to the people around us, that you would bring hope and light to a country and to a time which is full of darkness, that your gospel would be the light of the world, that your church would be the light of the world. We thank you for this little church. We, we're sincerely so thankful uh, for this group, for these people, your people. We thank you so much for our salvation. We thank you for your work in building this church. We pray that you'd continue to work, that you'd bind us together around the name of Jesus. That you move us forward, Lord in your mission, in this community. We thank you, Father, for all your many blessings towards us. We thank you especially for your, the presence of your spirit. We pray that you'd be at work among us this morning as we look to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is anyone here afraid of the dark afraid oh got some hands in the back corner you don't have to raise your hand if you're afraid of the dark I won't embarrass you maybe I'll get some more hands on this is anyone here afraid of the dark when you were young when you were a kid some brave kids in this room I was afraid of the dark when I was a kid. Not, <laughs> it's true. I wasn't afraid of the dark all the time, but occasionally when I was really little, I had these terrible nightmares and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and uh, I was just frozen, couldn't move, was terrified. Sleep. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if you can sympathize with this, but I'd, I wouldn't even want to stick my arm out of the, the blanket. I felt like the blanket was my protective armor. And, and there were some nights where I was so afraid, the only thing I could do was just scream at the top of my lungs for my parents. And this is when I was really little. And they'd, they'd have to come in. And as soon as I heard them moving in my direction, 
I sort of could take a deep breath. It's like, okay, I know I'm not alone. I know it's going to be okay. I don't have nightmares like I used to. Uh, I'm not afraid of the dark. Uh, you don't have to be a kid to have fears, though. Fear is often a, a driving force in our lives, whether we realize it or not. Fear of failure, fear of the opinions of others, fear of being open with others, fear of the future, fear of death, fear of economic downturn, fear of loss. Sometimes we're motivated by fear of change or fear of new circumstances or uncertain prospects. In fact, I think the whole public conversation in our country right now is based on fear. Fear of the coronavirus, fear of death, fear of economic downturn. The campaign rhetoric from both sides is entirely fear-based. If the other guy gets your vote, you've lost everything, basically. <laughs> and there's a reason they use fear. Fear is motivating. If you're truly afraid of something, your adrenaline kicks in and you will act. Fear gets results. Here's the question for us this morning. How can we avoid being ruled by fear? Who can we call to the bedside when we're afraid? Who do we look to when everything seems lost? I've entitled this sermon, What Are You So Afraid Of? And the alternate title is, The Lord of the Storm. We're going to read our passage together and then we'll pray. We'll be in Mark chapter 4 this morning starting in verse 35. And uh, as a little change of pace, I'm going to be reading our passage this morning out of the New International Version. I was asked this week about the translation that I use while I'm preaching, and I realized I don't think I've ever actually addressed that from the pulpit. Um, I'm sure you all know the Bible is not written in English. It's written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And so... Any Bible that we read in English is a translation. And there's a lot of great English translations of the Bible. Uh, the New International Version is one. That's what's in your pews, the NIV. Um, I believe Pastor Steve preached from the New American Standard Bible. Um, and I, I happen to use the English Standard Version in my study and my preaching. The NIV is, is, has kind of a smoother English. Um, it's, it's what you'd call a thought-for-thought thought translation. Take this unit of thought or this sentence and, and tr translate it into however we would say it most naturally in English. Um, the New American Standard Version, which, which Steve used, is very literal. So it's what we call a word-for-word word translation, where instead of taking a, a larger unit of thought, it's just take that single word, what's the best English equivalent? And... Uh, with those more literal translations, sometimes you end up with a little more clunky-sounding English. I use the ESV, which is, I think, a little bit smoother than the New American Standard Bible. I like it. I think it's a good balance. But they're all good translations. I'm going to read the passage this morning out of the NIV, so we'll all be on the same page if you're using the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. 
That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken, that we're able to hear your words and to know what you have to say to us. We thank you especially for disclosing the deepest depths of your heart to us in Jesus. We thank you, Father, for sending him, your son, to be born of a woman, entering the world so that we, in the world, can know you through him. Send your spirit among us this morning so that Jesus' words and the record of his life would be brought to life among us. We, we don't want to be half-hearted hearers or half-hearted obeyers of your word. We don't want to be hypocrites hearing your word but not doing anything about it. We don't just want to go through the motions of a Sunday morning, Father, without truly experiencing your presence and the power of your word actually affecting change in our lives. Give us ears to, e ears to hear, eyes to see, faith to believe, and hands and hearts to obey your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've talked before in our series on Mark about the way that God tells stories. Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the sovereign hand of God, chose events from Jesus' ministry to record and to publish for the benefit of those who were to read his account of the gospel. And we shouldn't read Mark thinking it's kind of a haphazard scrapbook of random events from Jesus' ministry. God, using Mark's skill and pen, has left us with a very intentional account about Jesus' life and ministry. So the story of Jesus calming the sea isn't just a, a nice or exciting story. It is, in many ways, interesting. And it's a beautiful account, but it was recorded with a very specific purpose, to point us to the identity of Jesus. As the story goes on, we're being led to really to ask the same question that the disciples end up asking at the end of the chapter. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this Jesus? Who must he be if he commands the wind and the waves? Our big idea this morning is an answer to that question, and it's this. Jesus is God in the flesh. 
with power over the raging sea. Jesus is God in the flesh with power over the raging sea. My, my goal when I pick a big idea is always to get to what I think is the main idea of the text. And you'll notice if you look closely that nowhere in our text this morning does Mark or Jesus explicitly say, Jesus is the incarnate God. Mark isn't that on the nose with the way he communicates to us. But the way he recalls the events of Jesus cal uh, calming the sea, probably as recounted to him by the apostle Peter, who would have been there, is going to lead us ultimately to that conclusion that Jesus is God in the flesh with power over the raging sea. So let's look at the passage and see how we get there. Verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. The body of water here is the Sea of Galilee. That's where they're sailing, which is really more like a big lake. It's 13 miles long at its longest, and 7 miles wide at its widest. It's actually much closer to the size of Moosehead Lake than the Great Lakes. Um, the, the smallest of the Great Lakes is about 7,000 square miles, and the Sea of Galilee is about 64 square miles um, of surface area at its fullest. So it's actually smaller by surface area than Moosehead Lake. It's not a huge body of water. It's not huge, but it's surrounded by mountains and hills, and it's legendary for this, these storms that will whip up. It sort of creates its own weather. And even today, fishermen and boaters on the lake are, are wary of its, its wiles. <laughs> the, the, the Sea of Galilee is known to just whip into a storm in a moment's notice. And Jesus and the disciples were caught in that kind of storm. The wind was whipping, the waves were breaking, and the boat was already filling up with water. Enough so that experienced fishermen, remember, Many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. These are guys who've been in this kind of boat on this body of water their whole lives. And they were in a full-on panic. Verse 38, But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Our English translation, I don't think it quite captures the urgency of the request. The request. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? No one talks like that in a hurricane. I imagine it was more like, hey, Rabbi, don't you care that we're dying out here? There's actually almost a little bit of sarcasm there. In response, Jesus issues two rebukes. Two rebukes. He speaks twice, first to the sea, then to the disciples. What were Jesus' two rebukes? First, Jesus rebuked the sea, verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed. That's amazing. We've, we've probably heard this account before. So it's, it's not a surprise to us when we get to that part in the story and Jesus says, be still, and the still. But can you imagine being on that boat? 
All Jesus had to do was speak, and the most terrifying storm that the disciples had ever seen was tamed. I've said before, most of us can barely even tame our dog or cat with our voice. Jesus tamed nature. This is significant. In calming the storm, Jesus wasn't just showing off. This wasn't just a cool party trick. Jesus had specific intent in calming the storm. And I think his intent was, again, to hammer home to the disciples that he was God in the flesh. The record of Jesus' deeds in the Gospels again and again shows Jesus doing what only God can do. We talked a couple months ago about Jesus forgiving sins, doing what only God can do. And here again, in reining in the wind and the waves, Jesus did what only God God can do. Jesus rebuked nature. And I want to briefly look at two Old Testament passages that show God's absolute and unique sovereignty over nature, and specifically over the storms of the sea. One of them, Kevin read at the beginning of our service, Psalm 107. It's a song about God's deliverance for needy people. Needy people in the desert, needy people in the darkness, needy people in sin. And one stanza is about needy people in ocean storms. Uh, I'm going to read briefly here from Psalm 107. And listen for parallels with the account that we've just read from the Gospel of Mark. Some went down to the, this is Psalm 107, I'm, I'm going to read in, starting in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. God, God is the one who commands the wind and the waves. The psalmist is, is praising God's great power. He's saying the great storms of the sea are actually summoned by the command of God. Verse 26. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Psalmist is describing sailors here on the ocean in a huge storm. What does that sound like? Where have we heard that before? People at their wit's end in a storm. Think the disciples. They were terrified. And what do sailors do when they're out on the sea in a great storm? Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. The sailors in this psalm cried to God, and what happens? And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who commands the storms? God. Who can still storms when sailors are in distress? God. Who did the disciples cry out to? Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Oh, what only God can do. Verse 29, again here in Psalm 107, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. This psalm was part of the regular worship of the Jewish people. It was in their hymnal. They had the song sheets tucked in the back of their pew. The disciples may even have known this one by heart, especially the sailors who were out on the sea all the time, or the fishermen. 
For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. It's no wonder they were amazed. Jesus had done what only God can do. Psalm 107 shows us that. There's another book in the Old Testament which can point us to this connection between God and command of the seas. Think about it. Where else do we hear about a man of God who's on a boat during a storm? Jonah. Jonah. Yeah, Noah. Noah's a good one too. So Jonah is actually a pretty similar account to what happens here in Mark. How is Jonah similar? If you remember, Jonah was running away from God. In that way, Jesus is not like Jonah. Jesus is a better prophet than Jonah. Jesus is faithful in completing the, the work that God had assigned to him. But Jonah was faithless. God had given him a commission, and he was running away. He didn't want to do it. He hopped on a boat trying to get to the other, other end of the world, trying to run away from God. And if you'll remember the storm, I'm sh- I mean, the uh, story, I'm sure you all know it. Jonah gets on the boat, and then there's a giant storm that's raised, that God raises to show Jonah that he's going the wrong way. If you remember this detail, what was Jonah doing during the storm? Sleeping. Jonah was on the boat sleeping. And in both cases, the other people on the boat came to the man of God and woke the sleeping prophet. The disciples woke Jesus, and the sailors woke Jonah in distress. And Jonah eventually describes the situation, explains it to the sailors. Uh, This is Jonah 1, verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He explains, the God who made everything, who who controls the seas is mad at me. And the problem is, you have to actually throw me off. Um, And of course, they throw him off, and then everything's calm. What did Jonah do about the storm? The sailors cry to God for mercy. Jonah's thrown off. Storm is calmed, and the sailors glorify God. These pagan sailors praise God and say, God is the God of everything. Jonah's God is the God who made and rules the heavens and the earth. What did Jesus do? When the disciples woke the sleeping prophet, instead of crying out to God for mercy, Christ himself turned to the storm and rebuked it. Peace, be still. Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus did what only God can do. In rebuking the wind and the waves, Jesus demonstrated that he was God in the flesh. We've circled back to our big idea for this morning. Jesus is God in the flesh with power over the raging sea. And this story brings us face to face with that reality. It forces us to confront the identity of Jesus. Just as the disciples asked afterward, who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Jesus is God in the flesh. So Jesus issued two rebukes. First, he rebukes the wind and the waves, proving that he is 
God. And secondly, Jesus rebuked the disciples. Jesus rebuked the disciples. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The disciples were afraid. When the storm hit, they were terrified. Notice the the contrast in this story. The disciples were fighting the storm, anxiously working to stay afloat, and Jesus was napping. The disciples interrupted Jesus' mid-hurricane nap as foolish, right? (laughs) Don't you see what's happening? I wonder if part of their impatience with him was their sense of nautical superiority. Jesus is a carpenter. He doesn't know anything about storms. If he knew enough, he'd be scared. No, says Jesus, the problem isn't that I don't know enough not to feel scared. The problem is that you don't know enough to feel secure. Why are you still so, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? There's a fear that's actually opposed to faith. Jesus is saying, in other words, if you really believed in me, you wouldn't have been scared of that storm. The disciples' fear was evidence against them. It was evidence that they didn't really, hadn't fully trusted in Jesus. They hadn't come to fully understand in mind and heart who was in the boat. They didn't understand that in the heart of the storm, the Lord of the sea was with them taking a nap. The one who made the sea, who carved the Galilean basin out with his little finger, who painted the currents of the wind that so awed the the Galilean fishermen, was in their boat. If they'd believed it, they wouldn't have been scared. The answer to fear is faith. By that, we don't mean a kind of abstract faith, like trying to just believe that it'll turn out all right. There's all kinds of teaching in the world today by secular psychologists and New Age teachers and some so-called Christian teachers that you can just kind of believe things into reality. That if you just try hard to believe that it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Is the power of positive thinking. When you're faced with fear, just have faith that you'll get through it, and you will. Just believe that you'll succeed, and you will. That's not biblical faith, and it's not how we're called to fight fear. Faith in the abstract without any sort of ground is, is just lying to yourself. Just believe you'll get through it. How do you know that? You don't. That, that kind of faith is just grounded in your own promises to yourself. It's like writing yourself a check from an empty account, hoping that it won't bounce. Biblical faith isn't just hyped up optimism. Biblical faith has a ground, a foundation, that's greater than our own empty promises to ourselves. Biblical faith trusts God. Jesus wasn't saying to his disciples, if only you just believed that the storm would go away, it would have gone away. No, Jesus was saying, if you had understood and believed who it was that was in your boat, no matter what happened with the storm, you wouldn't have been afraid. 
we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we live like Jesus is in the boat? Do we believe that the one who is sovereign over all the storms of this life and the trials we encounter is actually with us and for us? Do we believe that he cares for us? Do we believe that he watches over his people with more care than the strongest father or the gentlest shepherd? What are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? For those of us who've believed in Christ, who've come to him in faith, trusting him for the forgiveness of sins, for new life in his name, you are his and you have nothing to be afraid of. John 6, verses 38 and 39 records Jesus' words. He said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's talking about God the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's talking about his saints, those who come to believe in him. Jesus is holding on to you. Are you, are you afraid because you're entering into a new and unprecedented season in your life? Jesus is the Lord of your life like he was the Lord of the sea. Jesus is holding on to you. Are you feeling scared of new steps of obedience that you're feeling called to? Jesus is the Lord of your life and Jesus is holding on to you. He's in the boat with you. Are you afraid of COVID? Are you afraid of the potential harm it could cause you and your family? Jesus is the Lord of COVID, and Jesus is holding on to you. Are you afraid of people? Are you afraid of their opinions of you? Jesus is Lord even over the people whose opinions are controlling you. They are not your God. Jesus is the Lord of your life, and Jesus is holding on to you. Let his opinion be the one that matters. Are you afraid of failure? Jesus is Lord over your successes and your failures. In your successes, praise him. In your failures, praise him. If it's not his will that you succeed that time, it's for the best. Whatever happens, Jesus is holding on to you. Are you afraid about our nation? about the way things are looking? Are you afraid about division or unrest or violence or hatred or discord? Are you afraid of the rampant immorality? Are you worried about the election? Are you afraid about who might become president? Jesus is the Lord of nations, of leaders, of elections, and of kings. He is sovereign over history, and he isn't phased by the plots of men or of Satan himself. Jesus is Lord, even over America, even if America never repents, though we pray it will. And whatever happens, whoever gets elected, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is holding on to you. We should be concerned and conscientious Christians as citizens in our nation, but we should never be controlled by fear. And if cable news 
has your heart in a knot, turn off the fear mongers and turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. It's easy to remember. It's not the first one. It's the second one. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We have a king. And he'll never get defeated in an election. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in our boat. We don't have to be afraid. Whatever hurricane-sized fears are headed our way. Amen? Amen? There's a kind of fear that's opposed to faith. It reveals our lack of faith. There's a kind of faith that casts out fear. When we understand who God is, how present he is for those who call on him, our fears will be relieved. The wind and the waves are less intimidating when you know the one who made them. Call to mind those things you're scared of, those intimidating circumstances. God is the Lord over those two. I've been preaching this to myself all week. God is the Lord over those two. If you're a Christian, there is nothing in your life which God hasn't sovereignly, kindly allowed into your life for his glory and for your good. Even if it's a giant storm, God isn't pacing around in heaven about your fears, what to do, what to do. As I've applied this passage to my own life this week and my own fears, I've imagined Jesus asleep on my boat. Ahead, there's this mess of a storm, but behind me is the Lord of the storm, and he is so not phased. He is napping. That's encouraging. There's a kind of faith that casts out fear. There's also a kind of fear that comes from faith. Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting to look at the Greek in verses 40 and 41. Um, in my translation, the word for fear is the same in both verses. It's different in the NIV. It's, I think it's terrified in verse 41. But they're different words, different words for fear. In verse 40, Jesus asked, why are you afraid of the storm? It's a generic word for fear, pretty tame. In verse 41, the disciples respond to Jesus' authority by being filled with great fear. There's huge emphasis on this in the Greek. It's literally, and they were afraid with fear, much fear. It's like hammered home three times. They feared a fear, a great fear. As afraid of the storm as these disciples were, the disciples were actually more afraid of this man in their boat who could rebuke the storm. This man who had proven himself to be the Lord of the storm. 
as it began to dawn on them who this was, that God himself was in their boat, their fear was no longer of the storm. That's the fear of faith. There's a kind of fear that Christians have which is biblical and healthy. It's what the writer of Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we begin to understand the power, the might, and the sovereignty of the Lord, we begin to be wise. We begin to put things in perspective. We begin to realize that the Lord of the storm is in my boat. We stop fearing the storm. In fact, the circumstances of life, however terrifying they might be, and they sometimes are, begin to look a little smaller as we realize how big God is. It's a healthy fear of God. We don't fear punishment from God for our sins because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place. That fear is gone. As John says, perfect love casts out that kind of fear. But a healthy, informed attitude of awe-filled reverence towards God is exactly what we need. That kind of fear of God is what enables us no longer to be afraid of men or afraid of circumstances, afraid of storms or wind or waves or of death itself. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What are you so afraid of? If you don't have the assurance that Jesus is in your boat, I want to encourage you to run to him. Go to him in faith. If you're overrun with fear, run to Jesus. Run to him because he can speak peace to your fears like he spoke peace to the storm. I think we've known the power of Jesus' presence on our boat in the midst of the storm in our church these last months. We've seen brothers and sisters face the most daunting storms of their lives with courage because they knew that Jesus was the Lord of the storm. If your life is overrun with fear, run to Jesus. But know this. Jesus isn't just a handy guy to have around when you happen to run across a storm. Jesus isn't out to find stormy weather friends who come to him for help when they need him, but abandon him as soon as the sun comes out. If you want to come to Jesus, you come with all of yourself, all of your life. Jesus doesn't come merely to calm our fears about circumstances. He does that. But his mission from the Father was actually to reconcile God to man. Here's what I mean. If you don't know Christ, you have a reason to fear that is more intimidating than anything that's ever kept you up at night. Because we're all sinners. We're rebels against our God. We've all at one time or another, refused to worship and to obey the one true God. We as a race, we've gone astray, the whole human race. And apart from Christ, we're condemned to death and to hell by our sin. That's the reality. 
all of us. But though he would have been just and right to let us all die in our sins, God has made a way through Jesus for our sins to be forgiven by Christ's death on the cross in our place and by his resurrection to new life on the third day. In him, by placing our faith in him, we can actually have new life. And instead of being cut off from relationship to God, we can know him. You can know him. Don't just come to him because you need help with a fear or two. Come to him because he's the one true God. He's the creator of the universe and because you owe everything to him. Come to him because he loves you. When you do that, you'll finally understand your need of him. And you'll throw yourself on him in faith. And that's when you'll find true peace. The greatest fear of all, the fear of death and the fear of hell, is abolished when you put your faith in Jesus. Oh, death, where is your sting? Have faith in Jesus and be freed from fear. Every time I shouted in the middle of the night from my parents, mom or dad would come. When I was really young, it was, it was their presence I needed. I needed to know that they were in my boat. But every time they came, they would pray with me. And when they left the room, I knew that God was still with me. I yelled for their presence, but they showed me that it was God's presence that I needed. Of the many lessons that my parents taught me, that one has maybe been the most profound. When you are afraid, go to God. As the psalmist wrote, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, we hail you and we worship you as the Son of God who took on human flesh, who died for us, who was raised again, and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You weren't just some guy. You weren't just another prophet. You were God in the flesh. We thank you for your presence with us, which is just as real as your presence with those disciples in the boat. We thank you, Father, that we, can, we know you are the author of the storm, that any storm we go through, you could stop it all with one word. We thank you that you're with us, that you're not worried. Please give us peace, Lord, in the fears that surround us. I pray for any here who may not know you, who, who haven't trusted in Christ, who haven't found that true and lasting and eternal peace. I pray, Father, you'd be at work in their hearts and you'd give them that peace. That they would know the faith that casts out every fear. We love you and we thank you. Send us out with your peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I often marvel at how God works and, uh, and how so appropriate the songs that we pick a month ago are to the messages that are, that are preached. Uh, so let's stand and sing 410 in closing, standing on the promises of God. And let's sing the first and the last verses, how appropriate, standing on the promises. Well, you're there. Well, that's good. 